What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Quotes and Chokes podcast, uh, episode 29, 30, something like that. A um, few things here for this week. First, Root is not with us this week. Uh, he'll be back next week. I think he was just camping or something along those lines this week. Um, so he'll be back. Uh, the other thing is we do have a new recording setup, trying to improve the audio quality for you guys. Um, um, it's a little bit more complicated than I thought it was going to be. Uh, work in the the system so i'm still kind of figuring it out you can you can actually hear the audio quality improve as this episode goes on uh so stay patient with me stay listening and um we appreciate you guys support so for this week um the guest is my friend kenny schaefer he is a um he's a uh, behavior change specialist he's also uh, has a degree in human nutrition and di- dietetics he's a dolce diet coach um and he's also done some training over at the on an academy um, and, uh, has a few certifications from them, foundation, certi- foundation certifications and kettlebell certifications. Um, but he's really knowledgeable in the, uh, in the field of, uh, diet nutrition. He's actually, I think he's starting an internship, um, or his, uh, an internship and a master's program for the army. So he's, he's going to be doing some research and some studying, with them. Uh, so he's a cool guy. He's got a lot of information and, uh, he, he's also has a martial arts background. So his, he really applies that knowledge to the, to the martial arts, MMA, jujitsu, uh, field. So hopefully you guys like it, give it a listen. Um, and, uh, make sure you subscribe. All right, let's go. Yeah, so uh, nice, moving nice. from San Antonio in August for this uh, master's degree and dietetic internship program. Oh, cool. So, um, so is it just uh, so? What exactly is that going to tell? What are you going to be doing? So I uh, just swore into the army, so I'll be an active member of the military. Swore in as an officer. So the first two years of my six-year commitment is essentially all schoolwork. So the first, like, 10 and a half, 11 months is some welcome to the Army introductory training, learning how to be an officer and, you know, saluting and learning all things Army-related. Yeah. Um, Then I go into a 10-month-long master's program that's focused heavily on research and, uh, you know, just furthering the knowledge of, of human nutrition. Um, to my, to my understanding, they already have a few like pre-selected areas of research that they're already currently working on and have been like approved for like funding and what have you. And, okay. uh, you get to kind of choose where your interest lies the most. And then from what I've understood, there's also a few that haven't been, um, approved for funding yet, but are like in the process. So if that interests you, like you can, you know, put your, uh, notes on that. That's, that's where you're most interested. Um, and that goes on for like 10, 10 or 11 months, I believe. Um, and then to become a certified registered dietitian, you've actually got to take a board exam. Um, but to go through the board exam, you're required to take an internship. So this is kind of how I got involved with the idea of joining the Army because outside of the military, for a student, the internship cost, on average in the country right now, is like twelve to $14,000 um, for a 10 to 12-month long program. For, uh, that's just for, for a master's program? No, that's just for the internship. So, um, currently you don't need a master's program to become a dietitian. So like I just graduated in May with my bachelor's in nutrition. Um, so in order for me to be an RD, I'd have to go through this other 10 to 12 month long internship, which is basically doing like clinicals, you know, so I'll, I'll be, I'd be in like a hospital setting and then like a community setting, maybe like, like a, at a week center. Um, and then they'll, they'll rotate you through a few different areas. Um, being an RD at a school and like helping, design like the lunch menu and, and production and, and changing up the recipes is another avenue there. Um, but as a student, you have to go through the internship if you want to become a registered dietitian. Um, but like I said, that internship costs the student out of pocket, like 12 or 14 grand. You're working like 50 hours a week. And most interns will tell you like, you can't work a job like, cause you're, you're so busy. And you're not getting intern- paid anything, right? You're not getting paid. Yeah. That's crazy. So it's really, it's really weird, you know, my, my conspiracy side is like, I think it's kind of a system put in place to keep the amount of educated nutrition professionals at a, at a minimum. Because, you know, like, a lot of people can't afford to just not work for a year. Right. Um, like, there's some kids that I graduated with, like, they, like, you know, they're, I went to Metro University here in Denver, so it's, it's more of what's considered a non-traditional school. So there's older students, but 
because some of them are refinancing their house to have the funds to like cover all their bills while they go through their internship. Um, and, you know, I'd always been interested in, in joining the military when I was younger and, you know, life happens and it just didn't end up working out. But the military route, you know, you're, they pay for the master's degree and they're paying for the internship. Uh, and then fortunately, we're also on a salary, so I don't have to wonder how I'm going to, you know, pay all my bills. Oh, that's what I was going to ask you. So, so, the, so even though you don't, you wouldn't normally be getting paid from this internship, but since you're doing the military route, they'll, they'll kind of cover you because that's part of your, your, um, uh, oh, well, they'll just be paying your salary, huh? Cause you're an officer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. So I'm getting like a full on salary. Granted, like I said, we're going to be heavily involved in a lot of research. Like the first two years is basically all research and more schoolwork. Okay. Um, and then once that two years is up, I'll sit, I'll take the board exam. They have a hundred percent success rate, which no other program can boast right now, to my knowledge. Huh. Um, so, so essentially, I, I passed the RD exam, and then for the next four years after that, I'll be a, a working uh, registered dietitian for the military. And who knows where I'll be working? You know, um, I've heard from several students that some people uh, end up over in Germany doing some work on base over there, and there's several different, uh, you know, obviously states with army bases and. Um, it's just all kind of up in the air. You know, the VA hospital here in Denver's had an open spot for RDs for the last like two and a half, three years. Um, so, you know, ideally if I can finish schooling and just come back to Denver, that'd be cool. But, um, so, so if you, if you are going the military route, um, are the things that you're going to be doing and learning going to be different than what you do? Cause are you working with like, um, you said VA hospital at first, I was thinking that you were working with like soldiers and as far as like what their nutrition should look like and stuff like that. But then I'm, or, or is it more like uh, people who are out of service now that have some health issues and things like that? It can be both. So I don't know exactly how we get assigned to our duty stations as far as work goes. Um, but the primary focus that the military, I guess, would you say, spends their time on both research, but also as us as like working professionals uh, is like the sports performance athletic side for soldiers. Um, and then obviously like, you know, the military does have athletes um, so that they, they definitely spend a lot of time in looking how to better prepare soldiers for fitness and wellness. And, you know, also another component to that that they look at is field nutrition. So like constantly trying to improve the quality of the MREs, you know, and making sure that it's, they're not just sending, you know, blocks of sugar and no vitamins or minerals. Um, That's what you know, I've but heard then, that uh, MREs pretty much are. Yeah. This, uh, yeah. I mean, from what I understand, they're, they're pretty terrible. So we'll see. I guess that's been where a lot of the research has been out the last few years. Um, but then there's definitely the flip side of that where they are working, I guess, a little bit more with like the general population, you know, obviously like the VA hospital, um, you know, individuals that are getting severely burned. So the clinical side is generally where you're dealing with people like post surgeries or, you know, post like a traumatic injury, you know, whether it's burns or they lost a limb, things of that sort. So there's a, there's a lot of moving pieces. Um, I'm personally hoping to get put into more of like the performance research side um, it, it, do you have any say in that? Do you get to like, do you get a wish list kind of thing? Like, like, uh, or how does that work? Uh, yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, as limited say as you get in the military, so you can kind of list your interests from most interested to least interested and just hope that you get something that you're interested in. I do understand that like a part of them kind of giving you your wish list, if you will, is, is obviously based on your performance and your ability to show up and understanding. And I, I presume like your success in the program, but also, you know, they weigh a lot of like your physical fitness side, like when you're taking your, your physical fitness test. Um, and then I think another piece of that is also just like where they need you the most, you know, right, where, yeah. Where, um, yeah, I've been over my, if I recall my buddy, when he got, when he finished, so now he's, he's actually just started school for his, um, I don't think they call it officer training school in the Marines, but is it OCS maybe? Yeah, I think it's OCS. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, when he finished his basic, you know, when he just he got in his crash fire rescue, he had he was able to make a list of like these are my top three choices, like in that order, and they're like, and space just like we'll think about it. <laughs> yeah, he actually yeah, yeah. got lucky though; he got it. He, I think he got his number one choice. He ended up in in San Diego at first. Now he's in Japan, but that, that's where he started. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about like um, kind of how you got started with this. Um, did you get into nutrition through um, through training, or did it, was it the other way around? Um, it was it was kind of synonymous. So my real interest in in nutrition, I, 
in hindsight, now that I'm a little older and I've had time to think about it, um, has been definitely, a, I think, a piece. Because I started wrestling when I was 13, you know. Um, oh, I didn't know you started with wrestling. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's where, you know, like, you start seeing the teammates all cutting weight and, like, you're not drinking water. And, of course, like, you're in high school. No one knows what they're doing. Yeah. Um, so you become a little more aware of, like, the things you should and shouldn't be eating. Um, but, you know, my, my father, when I was 16, was diagnosed with cancer and ended up dying two and a half years later. Oh, okay. uh, and uh, I, th- I realize now in hindsight that a big portion of why I care so much about what I'm eating and like having a healthy active lifestyle is like I, I, I watched him and uh, several other family members dealing with health issues that were totally preventable. You know, those, those lifestyle related diseases that get talked about a lot, but no one really like, we kind of become numb to it in the States. Um, but then, yeah, like getting deeper into training, like you go into a training session and you just, you know, ate some lasagna or pizza that, you know, you probably knew you shouldn't have eaten and you get there and you feel like garbage, you're tired and even air. And then you show up on a day like where you've been eating clean, you're hydrated and you feel really good. Um, you know, it's, it's just like, it becomes really clear, like how important that stuff is, especially like on the performance side. Um, it's, it's such a huge thing. Like when I started training, I, I, I had this memory of like, um, uh, I remember I had this memory of kind of like laughing off people talking about nutrition because let's see how how old was I? I was probably a year or two in, so I was maybe twenty. And then um, I'm driving to the gym and like throwing McNuggets down like real fast just because I needed some calories. And then yep. uh, and I was like, this doesn't matter. I'm fine. And then I would say I feel like twenty seven. Twenty seven was the age when I was like, let me let me try to eat clean. And then and then uh, and then I realized. I felt like shit all the time. Like I just didn't know, I didn't know the difference. Like I was just like, dude, my cardio is better. I'm happier. Like I, I can do so many, many more things in the day. I was like, dude, I was running on like, just dragging on empty for my whole life. Cause I was like raised on McDonald's, man. I didn't, you know, that's, that's just the era that my parents or my mom grew up in. They didn't know anything that, you know, that's the Wonder Bread age. They didn't know anything about that. Yeah, man. Yeah. You know, that is such, what you just said, I think is so important and easy to relate to but it's not discussed enough i'm right there with you dude i grew up in the most traditional american household pizza and mcdonald's and, you know no supervision on the amount of soda i drink yeah. you know but they didn't know any better you know, they were just my parents were very much like well at least he's eating you know um <laughs> that, that piece that you mentioned of like you just don't know how bad you were feeling because you you don't know what it's like to feel good yeah. you know and like i really firmly believe that it's so hard for people in the general population to kind of make that transition to, to eating healthier and being more active because they think they feel good. Right. But it's like what you just said, once you really start eating good and like paying attention to the things you're doing, suddenly like the brain fog goes away, you sleep better, you have more energy, you know, you're breathing better if you're exercising. But uh, unfortunately a lot of people have lived however long they've been living and don't realize like you could feel better, you know? And, you know, you said you said brain fog. That that was a trip for me. Um, you know, when I kind of made that connection. It, and, you know, they say like you don't know what you don't know, and it, it, sometimes you yeah. learn you learn something, and it's kind of like I don't know. It just it just opens your eyes. It's like, man, I didn't I didn't realize there was this whole avenue of things that I, I could have been doing or, or whatever. You know, and you're just kind of you know, thankfully you stumble across it or, or whatever you were led to it. You know, but um, I I remember thinking that I was getting. Uh, like brain damage from sparring and I, I, I kind of would just like push on the I'm like man I just I feel foggy I, I know I'm not quite there I, I couldn't explain it you know I it was it was faint enough that I could one shed under the rug but two I couldn't really it's like I just feel off like I'm not quite like you know what I mean I'm not there yet and then sure. I I changed my diet there was a reason I changed it. I think I think I read like, oh, you can get higher testosterone levels or something like that. And so I was like, oh, let me let me try to do that, you know. And yeah. then and then my brain fog went away, and I was like so much clearer. And I was like, man, I thought I had CTE this whole time, and I was just trying not to think about it too much because I'm like, what else am I gonna do? You know, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. seven years into this at that time, and then um, yeah, it went, it went away like overnight almost because I I pretty much. I did the went the way you weren't supposed to do it. I kind of went like cold turkey and went 100. percent You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah overnight felt. It's like woke up the next morning, like whoa, what the heck? <laughs> Turns out vegetables are uh, like, I, dude, I didn't have any. There was no vegetables in my diet at all. I would have like I had a lot of 
orange juice. That was probably my fruit because I was addicted, okay. you know, to the sugar. Um, yep. Give me a man. I kind of want to open a window, but I'm picking up a lot of background noise. Give me two seconds. Let me open up the uh, window behind me because I'm sweating. No worries. Yeah, never mind. My neighbors are listening to the news on full blast. <laughs> so, nice. um, so um, anyways, where were we? So, yeah, so that's how you kind of how you got into it. And then you started, so you just started as a personal trainer or did you start with the, uh, the Dolce diet and then nutrition through them and then become a trainer? They were almost synonymous. So uh, I moved out to Colorado in August of 2015 and uh, the, the it been like a trip I'd been planning for about a year, you know, slowly selling all my possessions and savings to make the trip. You know, it's pretty like 24 hour drive or some, no, I think it was longer than that. But Where, uh, where'd you come from? From Florida. So I guess it was oh, like yeah. 30 hours. I broke it up over like a four or five day trip. Um, but that was part of the plan when I got out here was to uh, become a personal trainer um, and then immediately follow up with the nutrition certification. Um, you know, as soon as you start getting involved into that, that wellness world, you're, you become pretty aware that you need both those pieces. Um, so I always wanted to just almost more of like a health coach rather than being a trainer or just a nutrition person, like kind of helping people tackle both those avenues. So like kind of one of my things has always been to help people like bridge that gap. Cause you, you know, as soon as you get on Google, it's so conflicting on what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. And you know, obviously some things work for me that aren't going to work for you and vice versa. Um, so just kind of helping people find that piece. So I got here in August and studied relentlessly for my, uh, my NASM personal training cert. And I got that in November and then I flew out to Vegas that following month in December and got my Dolce diet cert. Um, and then like the middle of January, so like the next month after that, I flew down to Austin and went to on its, uh, foundations trainer cert. Okay. Um, so it was like back to back months of just tons of knowledge and, and getting after things. Um, and then shortly after that, I formed my own LLC and just started, you know, slowly building my clientele training and focusing on uh, providing meal plans to uh, individuals that needed it. And, you know, just trying to do the best I could to kind of help people better themselves, you know, and I would say about a year or two after that. So like 2017, late 2017, I started kind of assessing like where I was at as far as like my clientele, you know how long did I want to keep working for like a big box gym or paying gym rent to someone and just kind of started assessing some things. And it's beginning to look like over these next few years in the world of nutrition to start prescribing food to individuals is going to become more and more protected as a actual like service, you know, kind of like you can't be a, you can't say you're a physician and offer doctor's advice without actually being a physician. Right. Um, but that the field of nutrition is slowly gravitating towards that way that, people are going to be more liable to face a lawsuit or get in trouble. If I'm writing you a meal plan and I don't have the actual credentials, you know, it's, it's already there in a gray area. You know, like if, it, if I were even now to write a meal plan for a client and let's say they had an allergy or got sick and died from something I, I wrote or had a really bad reaction because I'm not technically a dietitian, like I could go to prison for that, you know, and that's, that's something that I, in some ways drives me nuts with like, your local CrossFit gym that is so quick to like prescribe macros or, or give people like these easy to detailed plans. Cause on one side, I'm like thrilled that there's people out there giving, you know, good enough information that people might be able to make a transformation and, and begin eating better and feeling better. And I'm not against that, but there's a lot in the background as far as like chemistry, metabolism and the uniqueness of the individual that it doesn't always get paid attention to. And so like, I kind of feel two types of ways about it, you know? Um, but anyhow, that's that's kind of what drove me to get back in school and finish out my degree in nutrition is so that I'm kind of, one, wanted personally just a, a deeper understanding of all things nutrition, but also to further my own personal credentials. So when I am working with people in the future, you know, like that side of it's covered. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. You know, you're talking about these conflicting things that you get on, on Google and stuff. Pe people say that, you know, this is supposed to be the age of information and it kind of is, but it, for the most part, it's the age of like disinformation. You know what I yeah. mean? 
every, oh, everything that I everything that I've learned, like that I've really put time into, say um, you know, like starting from from martial arts, then also kind of what was my day job, which was uh, I, I, it's kind of hard to explain, but I worked on cars more or less, um, and then even like doing these videos and 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 audio uh, podcast all that stuff. You know, I always get super excited about it, and I even though I know it's dumb, like or like I'm not gonna get too far with it. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna start googling. I'm watching all these YouTube information, blah blah blah. And then as soon as I actually talk to someone who who really does it, and I get a lesson, or you know, I go to school or whatever, it's like, and all that shit was well, not all of it, but so much of it was wrong. So much of it, it was just people who wanted to get your click on your video. So like, like oh, I should make a video about this because people are interested, even though I don't actually know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, the, the, the cycling through that misinformation sometimes is, is as much of a chore as it is like trying to find the, the good stuff, you know? And uh, yeah, like you, you hit the, the nail on the head, like getting onto Google is in some ways it's a blessing because the age of information, but the amount of BS that people are putting out there makes it almost harder to actually, f you know, figure out what's really going on or like, you know, who's right, who's wrong kind of deal. Yeah, yeah. I, I always talk about this where, like, I see, um, say, like, celebrities talking about politics or, or that's the first example that comes to mind, but there's a ton of it. But, like, for me, like, politics is the easy example right now because so many people are talking about it. Um, I think in my entire life I've made one political post, you know, because it's like, I do have an opinion. Yeah. I do, I do have something that I think. But I, I, dude, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not, uh, like, I'm not a master. I, I listen to the news, and that's about it. Like, I, so, like, if you don't know what you're talking about, just keep your opinions to yourself. Like, you don't, you don't need, you don't need to be an Insta Instagram influencer. If you, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> um, so yeah, there's a lot of that out there. But so, anyways, um, what I kind of wanted to, so there was two things that I kind of wanted to get into. Um, uh, one, so yeah, let's do this one first. So I, I thought it would be cool if I could just tell you like, um, almost kind of like, uh, kind of be the guinea pig for someone who, who's listening and we don't have to get super, obviously you can keep it, um, general when you need to, because there's going to be some things that information about me that you don't know, but I could just kind of tell you like my, my basic nutrition is like super, super basic and things that pretty much I know like everyone could probably figure out. And it'd be cool to see like, oh, you know, if you could add this, add this, because everybody that's listening to this, for the most part, they're in MMA. So we could do yeah. it from that perspective. And then, because I, some general things like my, might apply. I don't want to get too specific, you know, but things that everyone could take something from, you know. Um, and so... Um, hey, can you give me one second? Someone keeps knocking on my door and I want to go see what's up. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, so where were we? I think we're talking about some some simple nutrition with you as the guinea pig or something along those lines. Oh yeah, yeah. So so basically, you know, well, this probably isn't true even like, in the last month, but up until that, like my like lines of nutrition were pretty much just like the real basics. Like you know, when I, when I get into camp, I eat pretty bad outside of camp. But uh, when I get into camp, it's like. You know, I cut out the processed stuff, cut out the the processed sugars and, you know, fast food, all that stuff, the, the obvious stuff. Right. Um, and then I just make sure, you know, I'm getting like five, six servings of like fruits and vegetables a day. I'm getting enough, enough protein. You know, I try to have a little bit of like animal protein in each meal. And then, um, um, you know, I'll try to have nuts or, you know, some sort or avocado or some sort of like healthy fat, you know, within with two of those meals. I take a multivitamin and some fish oil. That's about okay. It. So, like, what, for someone who is, for people listening to this podcast, you know, a lot of them train and uh, probably most of them don't compete, but, you know, some of them do. So, what would be, like, the, the big, you know, the, the biggest, like, kind of chips to, like, to, uh, to add into that? You know what I mean? Sure. So, before I go into, like, chips, I think it's important, to, like, for us and your audience you know, especially we're talking about like MMA, jiu-jitsu people primarily. Um, and in both those aspects, you know, the requirements of the athlete is you don't just have to be powerful, but you've got to be explosive. You've got to be fast. You know, in the, in the instance of MMA, you need to have accuracy, skill set, agility. And when you start looking at those, those are all kind of dynamic, different energy needs. Um, so it's like when you're talking about training and or competition, for the most part, 
I would say the nutrition really needs to, to be well-rounded, you know, especially talking about MMA and jujitsu, like there's an anaerobic capacity to that where you absolutely need uh, a glucose fuel source to perform a correct to correctly. Um, so you're talking, you know, simple and complex carbohydrates. And I bring this up because it's not been as bad the last like eight months, but you know, the, the low carb keto aspect carnivore thing has been such a huge, like fad media thing that's been going around the world for a while now. Um, yeah. When you're talking about like a combat athlete and you start reducing your carbohydrate intake, it becomes a lot harder to, to be explosive, to have power, to recover uh, effectively. Um, so going into like that blanket, like what are the big chips? I would for sure say you need to be eating at least three good square meals throughout the day, not counting snacks, you know? So if you're the kind of person that's, you're waking up and, and, you know, training once or twice a day, like you should easily be eating five, maybe six times a day. Um, yeah. you know, what you just touched on, you know, making sure you're getting five or six servings of fruits and vegetables, um, you know, people hear that and then they're like, okay, well, what's a serving, you know? And it's like, that's where it can get a little convoluted. So like in the world of fruit, you're talking like a small fruit, like an apple, an orange, a banana, or if you're getting into berries, now you're talking like a half cup to a cup, depending on, you know, your own personal size and work ethic, what have you. Um, and then the same goes for like your green leafy vegetables, which I think is one area that a lot of people can make some dramatic improvements on is getting those dark green leafy vegetables, you know, your kale, your spinach, uh, Swiss chard, bok choy, you know, and, and not just sticking to one vegetable, but constantly kind of trying to pull in that variety. And again, you're getting into that realm of if it's a loose leafy green, kind of like spinach, like it, a cup is a serving. And when you think about it, like that's not really a lot, you know, when it's loose and leafy. Now, if it's cooked, now you're starting to get into that neighborhood of like a half cup or so. Um, it takes up less space in the, in the measuring cup, but same matter, same matter caloric density, right? Yeah, more or less. Obviously, if it's cooked, like if you sauteed spinach, you know, the, the caloric density might increase if you cooked it with fat versus steaming it with water, things of that sort. Um, and then like, you know, the protein aspect, I think is probably one of the more like we hear back and forth in the nutrition world because there's the bodybuilder mentality side where you should eat a gram of protein per pound of body weight idea. Um, and then there's the the standard like recommendations of nutrition where it's like, you really only need 0.8 grams per kilogram. So you're talking 0.8 per 2.2 pounds of your body weight. So it's, you know, a little so less like than 3.3 grams or something of protein yeah. per, per body per pound. Yeah. So yeah, roughly. Um, so, you know, it's like, I weigh, I weigh 155 pounds. So that's, that's me eating like I don't know, what is that, 60 grams of protein instead of 155 grams of protein or somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, yeah. and that's, it, like, that's like two, two decent chicken breasts and you're straight. You're yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, you know, so then the piece to that, like the protein side is, is also, you know, we talk about like the ability to, to recover and to perform, but also to get stronger. And like protein synthesis is a really important piece to that for especially like combat athletes. Like you're taking damage, you're working, load is, is pretty high. Um, so I, I generally venture to say like most people is like in this MMA combat world could easily start at a gram of protein per pound of body weight. There's not a lot of, uh, contradictory science of that being necessarily evil or incredibly beneficial. There's science on both sides, you know, whether you want to assess kidney and liver function, or if you want to look at, you know, being anabolic and having muscle growth. Um, so what you're saying is like having animal protein one or two times a day. And then if you're complementing that with enough leafy greens and vegetables, whole grains, um, those are, those are big pieces that kind of tie the whole picture together. The whole grain thing to me is something that doesn't get discussed enough. So, you know, if you, most bread products are made with, you know, a bleached flour of some sort, whether it's like, you know, you get the whole wheat bread, but there's generally still some kind of processed as like, aspect of the flour in there so yeah, I, there's some really like low quality whole wheat bread you know really when i get a whole wheat and i'm like it's on sale for 99 cents or something like that you know and it, it tastes so good i'm like that's something <laughs> yeah it's funny man so i i recently learned that um a product like a, a wheat product or a bread product flour product whatever can only advertise if it, that it's whole grain if it's uh, uh, it has to state it's 100 percent whole grain so if there's anything in there that's like used as a filler, it doesn't qualify as 100% whole grain. And when you start looking at products, 
trying to find something that's 100% whole grain, so you're getting that good insoluble fiber and the phytonutrients that come along with it. It's like all of a sudden your choices go from here. It's like, whoop, yes, yeah. <laughs> it's so hard to find. Um, so the bread, let's just say whole grain, and then they don't, but they don't. Um, they don't specify that 100%. You're getting a bunch of filler. There's just a little bit. There's some whole grain in there, but then they got all the regular. regular yeah, shit. they can put whatever they want in there. Yeah, it's a trick. Yeah, I didn't know that. So back, back to your piece, like the big ticket items, I think for this realm of athletes, particularly having uh, breakfast early in the day to me is a huge piece. You know, I know a lot of people uh, follow like intermittent fasting um, or just like a delayed eating window. And it's not necessarily that I think there's anything wrong with that. And again, this is where it really will come down to the timing of the training session that the individual's going to be doing. You know, if you're someone that's training, five, six days a week, whether that's weight training, jujitsu, sparring, running. Uh, you got to remember what I was touching on before with like the glucose or the carbohydrate aspect. Like you need that stuff for fuel. You know, and if, if you ate dinner at say seven o'clock the night before and you're doing an intermittent fasting and not planning to eat until noon, but you're training at 10, you got to ask yourself, what is your, you know, your body's not going to perform as optimally at 10 in the morning if you're still fasted. You know, it doesn't mean you can't. I mean, most people in this athletic endeavor – you know, we're, we're strong-minded. We're the, and most of those individuals are going to be able to push through the pain or the suffering or the not feeling good. You know, like back to what we were talking about when we were young and in our 20s, it's like I'll eat the fucking chicken nuggets and go work out. You know, right. and you just kind of push through. But, you know, if you wake up with the intention to be fueled, now you're giving your body a little more energy. You can recover better. You're less likely to suffer from an injury. Um, and then again, obviously following up with, post-training nutrition, hydration, uh, you know, we, there's quite a few pieces to this whole puzzle. Um, but I, I guess I should just pause off my rants and hydration is a huge one, making sure no, that no, you- no, go ahead, go ahead. Rant. I, I know you see me like, like looking around wondering, I, I, I'm, it's not cause you can rant all you want. I just, I'm getting uh, like a static in my headphones that, that I was trying to figure out where I was coming from, but I think I got it. Um, but yeah, no, no, rant on. That's what, it's, so, that's what we're, we're here for. Yeah. <laughs> No, but uh, yeah, so like, you know, eating consistently through the day, you know, I don't, I don't know about yourself, but I know, especially in the MMA world, most of these athletes, especially when you're getting into that pro circuit, you're not just training once a day, right? You're training two times a day, sometimes three if you're in camp, you know, mm-hmm. working different skill sets. So like eating and eating, not just the right amount of food, but the, like the right kinds of foods, you know, are, are super important. And this aspect of the food can be debated, but I'm a really big proponent obviously it has to be based on your budget and what you can afford, but the more like local farming, organic, less sprayed with pesticide foods you can get into your body is obviously the better. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you can't afford to buy the non GMO or the organic foods, like that's fine. Still, you know, stick to your fresh vegetables and, and your fruits and, you know, do, just- do you think that, uh, that, that the um, organic, uh, you know, pesticide free, all that stuff, um, there's some real obvious, like, I guess you'd say general health benefits, like as far as, um, you know, like d- disease prevention and things like that. Is, sure. is there, is there an aspect of performance, uh, like improvement with, with things like that? Or is that mostly for general health? You, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't say for certain. Um, I'm, I generally believe, you know, it's obviously like generally healthier for you. And in that regard, I think if you're healthier, your performance is just most likely to be a little better. Um, Yeah. But also, as far as like the emotional component of food goes, I think that there is a flavor difference in a lot of those foods. Um, And I I bring this up because like I'll talk to people occasionally, like, "Oh, I hate apples. They like they taste like nothing." They taste like wax or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So if you if you go buy like one of those really shiny like conventional apples and then taste it next to like the not so pretty organic apple that doesn't have the same shine. Like yeah. the flavor, the flavor difference is pretty noticeable. Yeah. It's huge um, for sure. Obviously it also depends on like the varietal of the, of the apple. You know, you're not comparing a granny Smith's like a Fuji apple or, you know, honey crisp or whatever. Um, but yeah, like there's definitely a flavor difference and you know, I'm a pretty big component that, or proponent that uh, you've got to enjoy what you're eating emotionally as well. You know, it's like, 
yeah, especially the, if you want to last, if you, if you want your diet or your nutrition lifestyle to be long term, like um, as, yeah. as much as you um, think like, oh, I can, I'm just going to grind through this, like eventually, whether it's today or two years from now, you're going to be like, I hate my life. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like the bodybuilders, right? They eat their plain chicken breast and the, the brown rice and the broccoli. Like, yeah, you can put in, you can put hot sauce and do some things to that for a while. But after a while, like, if you're really not enjoying what you're eating, it's easy to, to falter or to revert back to old habits. Um, yeah, you know, I, I would say that um, that losing weight, like for MMA, was probably one of the worst things that's ever happened to my nutrition because I've spent so long. Well, like in the last like three or four camps, maybe three camps, I've made an effort to be like, all right, I, I, I'm going to find... I'm going to put time into my meals so that they're healthy and I actually enjoy them because before I would just spend six to eight weeks just hating everything, you know, because I'm a really big food guy. So like, you know, every like emotionally, like food affects me. So just, you know, I spend that lot, that much time just, just hating my life. And then when I'm out of camp, it's just, I'm just like, I go so hard, full binging, you know, candy and, and fast food and everything just because. I don't know. I guess I just craved it that much. You know, people say like, "Oh, like when I when I don't eat fast food for a while, um, I stop craving it. I don't really like it anymore." Not me. <laughs> <laughs> the less I have it, the more I think about it. But um, but yeah. So anyway, but yeah. To your point, yeah, it's super important to make it enjoyable to to eat. Sure. Still eating things that you're liking and th- stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely, and that's where like I think taking a, a culinary approach to your food, whether you're in a training camp or outside of training camp, I think if you can, if you can become more comfortable in preparing your own meals, you know, no one knows your palate like you do. So you can, you can start having those meals that you enjoy or want, but if you're making them from scratch, like they're immediately healthier than what the alternatives are going out to eat somewhere. You know, it's like, yeah. you hear a lot like, what do you, what do you mean you can have burgers and fries? Like, well, if you're like getting some like nice lean grass fed, ground beef and you know you're chopping the potatoes yourself like yeah it's technically maybe not the absolute best because you're eating ground meat but it's a hell of a lot better than going to the restaurant or the in and out burger and again we talk about like there's, there's not necessarily anything inherently wrong with going out to eat either you know but it's when you're doing it the majority of the time versus like you know something you're doing once in a while um plus the impact that's had that has on your uh, on your budget and stuff like that huge. that's huge huge um, one thing that I eat all the time when I'm dieting that, that I, it's funny because people make jokes about it kind of being the, the crux of weight gain, you know, they'll make jokes about like, Oh, you know, I want to lose weight, but I love tacos or whatever. I feel like that's a go-to thing. I, I eat tacos like once a week when I'm, when I'm in camp, but like I get chicken, I cook it on the grill. So I'm not cooking it in oil, you know, yeah. um, you know, a good seasoning stuff. But if you put time into making chicken on the grill, you can make it still moist and doesn't have to get dry. Yeah. And then what? Onions, tomatoes, cilantro, corn tortilla. If you get a, you know, corn tortillas, you can you can get some good quality ones. But there's, yeah, there's definitely some like some high processed ones too. But there's nothing in that that if you if you took all those those in- ingredients separately, they, they would all be something you consider healthy. But when you put them together, like oh, I'm having tacos, yeah, people are like ah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and if I haven't had that much fat today, I'll even have uh, I'll even have carne asada. But but there's a lot more that that gets real individual because I I know that I can afford the the extra calories of the fat that comes with carne asada. You know, if if I'm tracking my calories, sure. um, some people can, some people can. It depends on their workload and you know the caloric the caloric burn and all that. Um, so. Um, yeah. So, uh, so anything else? What about what about things like um, like supplements? And, and I know there are some supplements that definitely have some great research behind it. What, what, what? How do you feel about the more basic supplements like vitamins and stuff like that? Because there's a lot of conflicting things out there as far as like, are you even getting those those nu- nutrients in your system or or not? You know. Yeah. You know, and that is a really really great question. The supplement industry, I mean, first and foremost, you have to understand they're not regulated at all. You know, the FDA doesn't dabble in that shit whatsoever. Obviously, I think like all things, you kind of get what you pay for. So when you are spending a little bit more money on one multivitamin, that's maybe triple the cost of, you know, whatever the name brand one is on the market, it, it, 
probably stands reason that that more expensive one is being sourced from real food ingredients and they're not synthetically designed. Um, like you yeah, said, supplements are the one thing that like when, well, not the one thing, one of the things that I feel like it's important not to, uh, not to skimp out on it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's what I was looking for. Yeah, yeah definitely. I totally agree. Um, so I think in the, in, in that aspect of like, particularly with vitamins, um, for an individual, like if you're eating a pretty well-rounded diet, you know that you're getting quite a bit of leafy greens, vegetables, fruits. You're eating a different variety of those. You're getting things like brown rice, quinoa, you know, even jasmine rice, white rice. Like if you're, if you're eating not the same thing every single day, essentially, and you're being mindful about preparing most of the food that you're eating so you know where it's coming from. I think in the, in the bigger scheme of things, a multivitamin for most people really isn't necessary. Um, you know, like we, we supplement in the States, like brown rice is there's like every hundredth grain is packed full of predominantly thiamine. Um, but if you ever notice, like if you're cooking brown rice and you see that one little grain, that's a green, that's basically a vitamin capsule. Hmm. And it, it's something that, uh, the state started doing, I think it was like 50 years ago now, um, because people were suffering from like thiamine deficiencies or folate deficiencies. Um, so there's little ways that we the state eat. started doing it. Yeah, like it's a government-mandated thing to prevent deficiencies. Um, and So is that something that grows in the rice, like something that they like genetically modify the rice with? Or? No, it's literally like a little vitamin capsule. It's not even like an actual grain of rice. It's just a – It's just a. yep, real weird. That's crazy. <laughs> so what's even crazier about that is like when we send relief to like, you know, like Nigeria or, or other like suffering guerrilla warfare third world countries and we send them like these bags of rice – they pick through it and throw the green ones out because they think it's a bad rice. And we've done oh, the, the, the people that, that receive it. Yeah. Because they're oh, crazy. It for quality and then they're throwing out the little green one because they think it's a bad rice grain. And we don't, we don't educate them on the fact that like, Hey, there, there, there's vitamins that you really need, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it, I've never it, even seen that before, I, but I, I also actually, to be honest, I usually eat, well, if I may have rice, I have a white rice, but it's usually like a, like a long grain organic white sure. rice. Yeah. Somebody was telling me, um, one guy that I was talking about nutrition a while ago um, is, um, I'm sorry, they lost, that distracted me. My my headphones, everything is so much louder in my headphones, so when she closed that door, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but um let me get game, my, game my, oh yeah, he was saying, basically, you know, white rice has kind of a bad uh, stigma to it, but the only reason why white rice is not as nutritious for you is because most white rice is made whiter by, like, bleaching. Uh, and he said, but other than that, if it's organic and it doesn't have that, uh, it's not, it's it's basically as equally as nutritious. Is that is that true or? More or less, Yeah. Um, the, the only other, like, I would say disadvantage to eating like a, like a good Jasmine organic long grain white rice, like the only other real disadvantage of that, cause it, they do have their own plentiful amount of nutrition, minerals, vitamins to it, you know? Um, but the only other piece is it does have a slightly bigger impact as far as like a glycemic load goes. So your, your insulin response is going to be elevated a bit more than if you eat a brown rice. And that's not necessarily a bad thing that can actually be a beneficial thing in terms of training. Um, you know, because specifically like post-training white rice with some kind of if, making sure that you have enough protein, whether that's coming from beans and whatever other grains you could be mixing in broccoli, or if it's coming from an animal protein, you know, we need insulin to shuttle those nutrients back into our muscles. Um, so, you know, if you're eating white rice post-training and you're having, you know, a, a balanced meal with proper nutrients, it can actually enhance your recovery. Versus something like a brown rice, because it's slower to digest, your insulin response is going to be a little lower. It's going to take a little longer time to deliver those nutrients uh, back to like your muscle tissue, essentially. Um, but flip side to that is it could also be beneficial to eat that insulin pre-working out, or eat not the insulin, but eating the white rice for the insulin pre-training, like um, you know, within like a 30-minute window, because now you're going to start releasing more glucose into your blood right before you train. So now you're going to have access to that energy when you start doing whatever you're going to do. The real issue with white rice is when you eat it and then just go sit on the couch and do nothing. Um, right. You know, and that can be argued for most forms of carbs, you know, but that's why 
you know, traditionally, if you know you're not going to be active for the next hour or two after you're eating um, um, a meal with grains, it, you would be better off to opt for something like a brown rice or a quinoa that has a lower glycemic load because you're not going to put as much stress uh, on your pancreas. Okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Is it is that the deal with like why bodybuilders like inject insulin and stuff like that? Yeah, that's why they get yoked. That's why like <laughs> the bodybuilders from like the '90s era were so huge because they were taking tons of insulin. That's also why a lot of those guys have heart issues and liver failure now. Um, but yeah, insulin is like the muscle building drug. Yeah, I mean, and, and messing with insulin with without like any like a doctor uh, doctor's guide and stuff. That's so dangerous. Fuck all that. <laughs> yeah. Man, I mean, respect to you if you're willing to take that risk and you want to, you, you know, I think most of those guys in that, that, that get into that like pro level circuit, like they're, whether the doctors don't want to come forward or not, it's one thing, but I think most of those guys have an, enough understanding of nutrition and performance of the body that as long as they're not taking like, you know, Jesus doses of insulin that for the short term, they're okay. You know, but for me personally, like I want to live as long and mobile as possible. You know, I don't want to be the 80 year old grandpa that is on a cane and hunched over and can't do much in life. And I know some people are like, Hey, when I'm 80, I've lived a full life. I'm done. I want to like live my life hard now. And when I'm that old, I'll just, you know, go out the way I go out. And I respect that. But dude, I want to see my grandkids, my great grandkids. I want to, I don't want to be stuck at a retirement home, you know? And yeah, it kind of depends. Like, I, I you know, I, I kind of on one side understand it because I, I don't really have too much understanding of the motivation to be a bodybuilder. But then again, a lot of people say that about MMA. So, oh. you know, I probably just, it's just something I don't understand because I'm not, I've never taken the time or I'm not in that scene. Um, but I do definitely understand being willing to shave off maybe potentially some of your life. Yeah, um, or the quality of your life to achieve a goal if it's that important to you. You know what I mean? You know, I I I, I kind of have like a weird, uh, what would be the word like, like a dichotomy where I and part of me is like I accept the fact that I'm gonna have health issues and and possibly not live as long because of the choice of my career. Hopefully, you know, I can you know I can hit seventy eighty. That'd be you know fine. But um, and on, but on the flip side. I kind of, I feel better than most people, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I don't have like uh, aches and pains and, and all my joints are great. I can, you know, I can squat down my heels down to my butt and jump back up off my, you know what I mean? Like everything is great. I'm not that old yet, but I know people that are at my age that like, you know, have to take, take, you know, ibuprofen and stuff at night for back pains and they've had surgeries on this and that. And I don't have any of that. So. Sure. Yeah. And well, you know, there's like, for sure with like all things, there's variants in all of us because of our genetics. But you know, the, the flip side to what you're saying is regardless if you're choosing to compete in MMA and you know, you know, you're going to take physical damage mentally and physically because of the sport, you know, in competing. But the, the flip side, I think what you're saying is, Inherently, you have to be focused at least some of the time on putting good nutritiously dense foods in your body, but you're also exercising, you know, and and in order to be successful, like in in this specific sport, like you've also got to be flexible and mobile. So you're not just lifting weights or just running. You're also stretching and probably doing some yoga here and there. And, um, you know, you start tying those pieces together and it's like, yeah, dude, like I can, we can squat down and not have the the cracking knees or not taking ibuprofen before we go to bed. Dude, I'm right there with you. I meet some people that I find out are my age. And I'm like, fuck, I thought you were 10 years older than me. You know, you're balding already. You can't like bend over to pick up a pen off the ground. Um, and you know, it, it's sad, but a lot of that directly translates to like your lifestyle. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's- I, I think that stretching is a big part of it. Uh, like, uh, cause I do spend a lot of time. Uh, my rule of thumb is every, every four minutes of intense exercise that I, uh, partake in I it comes out to one minute of some sort of mobility even if it's just like um a sauna or you know or ice or whatever some four minutes of activity equals one minute of of recovery recovery. and also the nutrition too just adds this so much man like I I honestly because so I'm I'm real big and actually let's let's get into this because I'm real big on my the time frame in which I eat 
in relation to my workout. Okay. And I, I would say for the most part, I, I don't, I don't get sore. I don't get any soreness almost ever. Like unless I, unless I do some sort of uh, isolation movement, you know what I mean? Where I do a bunch of volume on like on my glutes or my biceps or something, which I don't do. But if I were to do that, then I'll get sore from that. But I don't get sore from rolling or anything like that. And I feel like that's essentially because I pay attention to what, what I eat and how I'm, how I'm eating it, you know? So, or maybe I made all that up. <laughs> maybe it's in my head. So like, let, you know, to turn that question to you, how, how important is that? And what, what do those time frames look like? Man, post, post-training nutrition and hydration, I think as athletes are, the, are definitely one of the most important things that you can pay attention to. Um, so as I mentioned this earlier, but protein synthesis, so our, our ability to not just recover, but be anabolic and repair the muscle in our body. I mean, science has shown time and time again, optimal timing is up to an hour, but the first 15... Keep, keep talking. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be out of your frame, but I can hear you. No worries. So the, uh, the optimal time frame, and most science literature is going to say, like, you should get that post-training nutrition within an hour. Um, but optimally, where most progress is seen is in terms of recovery and, and muscle repair is within the first 15, 30 minutes of training. So to, to keep that like simple, I realize it's not practical for you to maybe eat dinner or lunch right after you train. I mean, half the time you're so tired, you don't want to eat, but mm-hmm. that's where the simplicity of eating an apple and slamming, you know, a protein shake or eating some raw nuts or even just eating a few pieces of chicken, doing some, getting something back into your body, but also making sure like you're following back up with nutrition. I don't know how many times, you know, and like, I would see this all the time at Ludwig's is, you know, guys are training two kickboxing classes back to back. And then we go spar on Tuesdays or Thursday nights. So like effectively you started training at six, you're getting down at like eight 30. And some of those guys might drink 15 ounces of water. They haven't eaten anything. They haven't drinking anything else. And so you're running in, in a lot of ways you're running on fumes. Um, but if you back up and maybe train the first session, sit that next session out and eat a little something, hydrate, you know, people forget like, we're, par- we're primarily water, you know, and mm-hmm. especially if you're doing something that's highly rigorous and you're pouring sweat, like it's not just enough to eat. You've got to get water back into that body and not just water, but you need electrolytes, you know, and uh, people are and real- sugar, right? Some of the sugar? On, on, your, on you. But- and again, so that, that sugar piece is back to what I was talking about earlier with the insulin. That shit is so important to get nutrients to be delivered back to your body. That's, you know, a lot of times when I talk to people about like post-recovery, you know, especially if people are like just wanting to take a protein shake, it's so important. Like I tell them like, you've got to eat like a cup of blueberries, an orange, an apple. You've got to put some kind of sugar back in with that. Also, otherwise your body's just going to break it down and it's going to take forever to get to where it needs to go. You know, but if you can eat some sugar with it, now your insulin's coming out, it's working, it's getting that shit to where it needs to go. Um, And then, you know, hydration, we think a lot of like trying to prevent cramps, but you got to remember like our muscles are sliding because of the fluid in our body and yeah, less water, less friction, you know, more friction kind of deal. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, a like a game changer for me, um, was, well, for one, I'm not about training two and a half hours straight. Um, yeah. what I've, what I've found is my cap is 90 minutes, um, including my warm up and my cool down. So that, that's why I've found that there's no way for me at that point to still be, uh, like being explosive and using, you know, like my type two muscle fibers and things like that. Um, but even within that 90 minutes, you know, like that last 45, 30 minutes, it's like, I, I'm just, I'm, I go into that kind of mental focus mode and I'm just like grinding through it. Just, just keep moving, do as much power as I can. You know what I mean? But you know, you, you're losing, you lose steam when you're, when you get over an hour. Um, the game changer, man, was just like having some sort of high quality sugar, a simple sugar, you know, like, um, uh, like an organic coconut water maybe, yep. or something like that. And just sip on that, like throughout my workout. And man, I can crush 90 minutes now just cause you know, like you said, I'm keeping, I'm keeping those glucose levels high, the glycogen stores and my muscles are, you know, they're, they're not fully depleted. So I don't switch into that. Um, uh, What's the energy system called? Where you're now you're burning fat instead of like your Krebs cycle, yeah, yeah, right, right. <clears throat> so yeah, that's a huge one for me, definitely, definitely. Yeah, you know, and like that highlights, you know, when we talk back to like the supplement conversation, you know, you see a lot of like the intra workout formulas, like you know, the, whatever concoction they've come up with, you know, like the directions are like mix it up and sip on it through your workout, like mm-hmm. those, those are a thing because 
people a lot smarter than you and I have spent years and years and years studying performance, nutrition, and you know what it's going to take to perform optimally. And we've learned, hey, like if you're working out for an hour, an hour and a half, like you should be still consuming something in that window if you want to perform maximally. You know, maximally yeah. doesn't mean lifting as heavy as possible for an hour. It means performing at the best of your ability for an hour. You know, and obviously there's a side to that that means that you've trained and you've been preparing and, you know, you are capable of working for that hour. But, you know, for someone like you and I that are conditioned and can do the work, having that, that nutrient available to you throughout the training session really is a huge game changer. You know, and Definitely. I, 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 I'm so glad you brought up the coconut water because, man, I really hate the amount of money that people will spend on supplements versus just getting it from real food sources. You know, yeah. coconut water, you could put a little bit of like a dash of salt and some lemon juice and some honey into some water and you're getting the exact same thing as the Gatorade or the intra formula workout uh, that you're that you're spending money on. And it's much cheaper and it probably has a lot less shit in it. You know, that's probably cheaper than even going the coconut route. Coconut route, coconut water actually can be. Yeah, pricey. but it's delicious. <laughs> you know I mean? Salt, lemon and honey. I'm going to try that. That's a, that's a good one right there, actually. That's really yeah. good. Well, um, pro tip on the coconut water is uh, instead of going to uh, all, all of the, almost all, it's very hard to find coconut water in a grocery store that doesn't at least have um, um, s- s- at least one thing added to it. Like very rarely do you, you flip it over and see ingredients, coconut water. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Um, but the, uh, like when you go to like the Asian markets, like the Thai, Thai food or Asian food markets, they sell like giant things of coconut water with like chunks in it and stuff like that yeah. like a gallon of it for the price of one of those uh i can't think of it, like the brand name bottles like, you know yeah, what I mean? or whatever yeah 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 that stuff goes up and up man like it's crazy how much coconut water is it's such a it's, it's in style you know it's like a fad thing well it's in style and then also like coconut oil has become so prominent and mct oil now sourced from coconuts so like you know the demand just in general on the coconut market is just constantly expanding you know so it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Want coconut water they want their mct oil from coconuts instead of palm you know and then everyone wants to cook with coconut oil which is all good but for us that's been enjoying it forever it's like <laughs> this used to be a dollar now it's four yeah yeah yeah, yeah. for real coconut oil is a good one too though that is a, I, I i put coconut oil in my coffee and i feel like i get it, it it keeps me from getting like super jittery from my coffee Sure. Uh, and then it, it, I feel like it gives a little bit of extra, extra mental clarity and stuff. The fat, fat's really important, it seems to me, right, for like your for mental clarity. Yeah, yeah. You know, so people forget that like our brain – so it's kind of funny. Our brain, our central nervous system, prefers uh, glucose as its fuel source. You know, like if you, if you think of terms on like a race car, like carbohydrate or glucose, it's all pretty much the same. Um, but it's, it's like your high-octane fuel. It's what your body is always going to prefer but especially our central nervous system. So our nerves, our brain, these things that are constantly running. Um, but the brain is primarily fatty tissue. You know, mm-hmm. so you, you need good quality fats in conjunction with also making sure you're getting that proper amount of glucose. And like the coconut oil thing in the coffee, there's been quite a bit of research on this. And, you know, coconut oil is mostly an MCT oil or a medium chain triglyceride. And so the, the interesting thing with MCTs is our body is – most unlikely to store medium chain triglycerides as fat on the body and will be more willing to actually start burning it for fuel versus storage. So a lot of times when you're eating like extra virgin olive oil, avocado, raw nuts, those, those fat sources, while they're good, our body will preferentiate to just take those and store it for fuel for later. But the MCT oil, your body will say, Hey, we can actually use this now. Because in its medium chain form, it's a little easier as far as uh, the metabolic pathway is concerned to break it down and use it for energy. And it, it's interesting because like blending it in the coffee, one, it's delicious. I do it all the time too. Um, yeah. But the, the caffeine, because it's being absorbed with a fat, is one of the reasons you get less jitters is because now it's being metabolized with fat. And the whole deal with like metabolizing fat is it's the longest metabolic process. So it's one of the reasons our body prefers glucose as a fuel because we can break it down and use it really really quick um mm. proteins all that caffeine's not hitting you as fast correct so it it doesn't hit you as fast and then it'll also last a little bit longer so it's like mm. you know I, I like to give people the analogy like if you ever have like your cup of like let's say black coffee in the morning which most people don't drink it black but if you do 
you get those little jitters, you get the high for like an hour and 20, hour and 30 minutes, and then you start coming down pretty quick. But a lot of times if you mix it with that fat, like you don't really ever feel like you're kind of reaching that peak and the jitter and the high, but it seems, and maybe this is just, you know, my own view of it, I guess, but it seems like the effect of the caffeine is kind of lasting you a bit longer as well. It seems that way to me. And I I don't, because I don't have so much of a high, I don't feel like I get so much of a crash. Sometimes an hour and a half after drinking coffee, like if I get a gas station coffee, obviously I don't put anything in it. And like an hour and a half after that, I'm like, I need a nap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the worst feeling. Hey, um, real quick, I, I, I want to touch on this when we were talking about the supplements and the vitamins. Uh, and I think the two biggest things that anybody in America at least should definitely be taking or at least talk to your physician to see if you need it. And there's been a lot of talk about this now with the coronavirus, but vitamin D3 is a huge one and your, omega, you and your uh, omega-3s. Um, and I bring up the omegas specifically because in the States, uh, not enough of us are eating fish or algae mm-hmm. or other green vegetables or, you know, chia seeds, things of that sort. And um, we eat a lot of omega-6 and we need both of those. So omega-3s and omega-6s are con- like, so omega-3 is an essential fatty acid as is omega-6 because our, our body has a really hard time making it without food, right? So we can make omega-9s no problem. Omega-3 and omega-6 need a, a relationship of like a three to one from, from six to three is what like people will generally tell you. But the problem is in America is we're eating like a six. Three, or, three, six to one, three omega-6 six units to one omega-3. Correct. That's, that's, that's what is like kind of considered like standard nutrition. Um, a lot of people like, you know, I'm sure you listen to Dr. Rhonda Patrick. She's a huge proponent of trying to make it like a one to one ratio. One of that is because omega-3 is so anti-inflammatory. There's a lot of health benefits to it as well. But the, the real concern is in America, we're getting omega-6 in like everything that, that we eat. So we're blowing That's that. That's what we're getting like red meats and stuff like that, right? Yeah, red meats. I mean, you get omega-3 in red meats too and in fish. But uh, most of our meats in America are grain-fed. So that relationship okay. gets separated again instead of being a 3 to 1. Mm. It's like a 7 to 1 ratio. Um, oh, okay. The, the, the two bad things with omega-6 when you're getting it into the, like the excess is one, it's really inflammatory. And I'm talking like it's systemically inflammatory. So you're going to most likely retain a little bit more water. Um, and it's not going to be like, you know, you're going to get that little red splotch on your hand. It's just something that's somewhat aggravating your body. And in the next omega-6 is yeah. Huh, okay. um, and th- this isn't like a really extreme case, but if you get way too high in the omega-6 spectrum, and don't have enough omega-3s to level it out with, which most people in the States are doing that chronically because we don't eat fish, uh, it can actually start causing nerve damage, which is baffling to me. So yeah. you know, I used to recommend people a lot to eat, to eat grapeseed oil instead of using you know, like whatever other vegetable oil they could cook with because it has a really high heat index, so it's great for like sauteing vegetables or you know, cooking on high heat. Um, but then like, the more I like, dig into research and I'm looking at it, like Grapeseed oil is really high in omega-6. And now avocado oil has become so much more accessible. That it's like, I don't touch grapeseed oil. And that has more omega-3 in it? Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's just a lower, it's a lower omega-6 profile. Um, what about cooking with coconut oil? Is that, what's that uh, uh, omega-6 profile? You know, I'm not positive on its omega-6 profile. Um, but I, I would definitely encourage people to cook with coconut oil over... Uh, grapeseed oil for sure. Oh, okay. Um, um, I haven't done uh, avocado oil, but I, sometimes I cook with um, coconut oil. But if you don't get the right kind of coconut oil, uh, and I haven't figured this out yet, but sometimes coconut oil makes my food taste like coconuts. Yeah. Other times it doesn't. <laughs> um, generally speaking, the ones that will give you that coconut flavor profile are going to be extra virgin and cold pressed coconut oils, which are. Okay are technically the ones that you want because it's going to be the least refined, you know? Um, yeah. So this is why I will tell people to have both like the avocado and coconut oil in your pantry. Cause sometimes you cook some stuff and you don't want it to have the coconut nuts notes. Sorry. You know, on yeah, like, let, let me, uh, scrambled eggs with a hint of coconut. Yeah. It's weird. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the avocado oil is nice cause it, it almost tastes like nothing. It has a, it has an incredibly mild flavor profile. So it's really easy to, to saute or manipulate flavors with it for sure. And, co- and the taste of avocado, even if it does have a flavor, 
avocado pretty much everything makes everything taste better. Agreed. That's one of those things that, you know. Um, all right, man. Well, um, my uh, camera just died right there. And then, uh, so I'm going to take that as um, uh, we're probably hitting, we must be at like an hour and a half, maybe hour 15. I know we lost some time there, but um, so real quick before we wrap it up, uh, if somebody wanted to seek you out for like nutrition advice and stuff like that, do you, are you still going to do that at all? Like, yeah, or, yeah, totally. yeah. Okay, so how can people find you and, and all that information? Uh, my Instagram is probably the easiest way. It's CoachKinney89. Um, you can also shoot me an email at oh.fitt at gmail. So it's ofit with two Ts um, at gmail.com. Uh, but yeah, the Instagram is usually the easiest way. It's, I'm, I'm on there a lot. Cool, nice. All right, well, um, for everybody listening, if you want to um, follow the podcast, you can find us on pretty much all social media platforms at Quotes and Chokes. Um, we're on YouTube now. We're on uh, iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. If you want to follow me, um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at NickAngeloni155. And that's it. That's it for this week. Thanks, brother. I appreciate you coming on. That's yeah, man. Cool. Thank talk. you. All right, man. Well, I'll, t- I'll talk to you soon. Hopefully, um, I-, I don't know when you're moving, but I'm actually going to be out in Colorado here in a week or two. Okay, tight. Um, yeah, so uh, are you training at all? Are you going to... No, man, I, uh, I I had to put training on the back burner while school got pretty intense. That was September of 2018. I mean, I've been in like a handful of times. I was, oh, okay. I was actually hoping to get back into the dojo before we moved to do some training, but with the COVID, like, <laughs> closed down, we'll, we'll see what happens, you know? Yeah, yeah. All right, man, well, I'll talk to you soon, and, um, you know, hopefully everything, you know, hoping everything's going to go well for you out in Texas, so best of luck to you, brother. Dude, thanks, man. I appreciate this. Chat later. Oh, all right, man. Talk to you soon.